In the 1930s, Martin Niemöller was a prominent Protestant pastor in Germany during the rule of the Nazis, and he was an outspoken critic of Adolf Hitler and ended up being arrested because of it. In fact, he ended up spending the last seven years of his life in numerous uh, German Nazi concentration camps. And Niemöller is perhaps the best remembered for the following quotation. First they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I wasn't a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I didn't speak out because I wasn't a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was nobody left to speak for me. These words from Pastor Niemöller are striking and tragic at the same time. But he actually missed a number of groups of people that the Nazis came for, including other pastors like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, to name another famous one. And the big group of people that he missed that were taken and disposed of were people with disabilities, people who were mentally and physically impaired, as well as some minorities who did not pass the so-called perfect Aryan race test. And this, I must say, is why Heather Walsh's upcoming ministry trip to Israel, the Heart of God tour, is such a powerful witness of the Christian faith to Jews in Israel. She will be helping to guide, care for, and supervise people with disability issues on this trip, loving the very ones that Jewish people under the reign of Hitler in Germany remembered as being some of the first people to be exterminated by the Nazis. Them, this mission sends a strong message to the Israelites because they are deeply embedded, they have this deeply embedded historical memory of what happened to their family members, their neighbors, their friends, and their fellow citizens with disability issues in Germany and German-occupied territories under the Nazis' reign of terror. On behalf of Mission Covenant Church, I want to thank Heather for doing this to the least of these in Jesus' name. We're so proud of you, and we thank you, Heather, for the sacrifices that you are doing to make this possible, including being gone during a holiday season and also sacrificing some days without income to do this trip. Now, they came for the socialists. Well, there were a lot of people in Germany who did not like the socialists, so it was no big deal. Then they came for the disabled. And many people thought disabled people complicated life, and so they didn't, didn't think too much of it. Then they came for the trade unionists. And not everyone in Germany agreed with the practices or the politics of the unions, so they looked the other way. Then they came for the ministers as well, and some, of course, didn't agree with Protestantism, or didn't agree with Reformed theology, or didn't agree with someone being an Anabaptist, or someone being a Catholic. So it was almost good riddance for them. Then they came for the Jews, and many in Germany had strong memories of the hardships that Germany had endured after World War I, with all of the losses and the devastation and destruction in their country, the losses of life, and having to pay extremely high reparations for the war. And then Germany fell into a depression, as well as other countries around the world, which only made Germany's depression and their suffering worse. And some who did have money in Germany at the time were Jewish people, and, and some of them loaned out money to help others out, but at very high interest rates. So with all of the anger and all of the angst in Germany, there were quite a few people who did not think highly of Jewish people. So when they came for the Jews, 
Some people actually thought they had it coming, or at least some people just did not care. Now, in all of these cases, the masses were delighting in evil. They were delighting in wrongdoing. They were delighting in injustice. In our text for today, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 6, the word translated evil here has three potential meanings. Wrongdoing, injustice, or unrighteousness. That's why the NIV chooses to summarize it as evil. And in the German language, they use the word schadenfreude to describe the meaning of what this is saying. And schadenfreude is pleasure derived by someone from another person's misfortune. In, do you ever derive pleasure from someone else's misfortune? You know, I remember when I was a freshman in college and I had a cranky, middle-aged English professor uh, that bugged the daylights out of me every day in class. And one day I was driving east on Highway 13, heading out to Cloverland, and just after County Road F, there was a car alongside the road with a flat tire. And a gentleman with his family in the car, his wife in the car, children in the car, and he looked bewildered. And when I got up close, I found out it was this English professor. And to my delight at the time, I slowed down enough so he could get a good look at me. And when I drove by, I waved at him and kept right on going while he's there scratching his head, wondering what he was going to do. Uh, I'm not certain that that helped my grade in that class at all. But that instant, what I did, I thought it felt pretty good to do that. But it wasn't until later that I realized that it was very detrimental to my young Christian faith. Uh, love, as 1 Corinthians teaches, does not delight in someone else's misfortune. And later in my Christian life, if I could ever have had a chance to redo that, I would eagerly and graciously, forgetting whatever grade I'd get, didn't matter, I would graciously stop and help this man out. And I could have met his wife and his children, and I absolutely blew it. So let's bring this teaching into the 21st century. Are you a person? who was glad to see former President Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence raided by the Federal Bureau of Investigation, the FBI, under the direction of the DOJ, the Department of Justice? And are you waiting with bated breath to see what dirt they're going to dig up on Trump? Or are you on the other side of the equation? Are you someone who would be delighted if something actually happened negative to AOC or some other well-known spokesperson for the Democratic Party, especially its progressive wing. Would you kind of chuckle and laugh about that? Let me encourage you today, whichever side of that equation you're on, to check your heart. Because God tells us that that kind of behavior, what it is, is it isn't love. In our English language, we have a word for this. Just like the Germans have the word schadenfreude, we have epicaricacy, epicaricacy. And it means rejoicing at, taking fun in, or getting pleasure from the misfortune of others. And some of you are old enough to remember the World Trade Center and the Pentagon attacks with airplanes at the hands of extremists, including one plane that didn't make it to the Pentagon because the passengers on United 93 uh, intervened and that crashed in a field killing all the passengers. But this occurred on September 11th. 911. Uh, it's over 20 years ago now. And it was one of those days where you can remember where you were and what you were doing. It's as if time stood still. 
And some of you may recall that what added to this senseless tragedy was the news coverage of various hostile countries to the United States around the world where some of its citizens were actually out in the streets celebrating and even burning American flags and effigies of our president at that time. And in their minds, we're their enemies. We're the great Satan. And we'd been dealt a serious blow, a major defeat. And they were glad about it, even though thousands upon thousands of innocent civilians lost their lives. Love is opposed to all evil. So much so that it's even opposed to the evil of being in a state of happiness for someone else's misfortune. By the way, do you know the most pernicious form of this particular sin that's perpetrated among Christian people? It's called gossip. Confessing someone else's sins. Making sure that everybody around you knows what so-and-so did. This is not love. By the way, we do live in a rural area where everybody pretty much knows everybody. So it's fairly easy to know what's going on in a lot of other people's lives. So let me ask you, how are you doing on the gossip front? Do you ever catch yourself gossiping about others? Do you particularly like that or enjoy that when you're doing it? And how often do you do this? You know, as Christians, we can get so sophisticated at rejoicing in others' misfortunes that we can hide our joy over that by just reporting people's misdeeds as prayer requests. This is not love because this is not the gospel. And the gospel has a redemptive quality to it, not wishing ill will on anyone, even some of our worst enemies. Now, the Greek word here to rejoice, that's used both for misfortune and, and evil and rejoice for the truth. The word that's used there is Cairo. It means to be in a state of happiness and well-being. It means to rejoice and be glad. Instead of rejoicing in someone else's misfortune, it's telling us here that we should give all of our attention and devotion to the truth. Rejoicing with the truth uses the same word Cairo, but then it adds a prefix to it to intensify the action here of this verb. So not only do we rejoice in someone else, not rejoice in someone else's misfortune, we are to superbly or uh, extravagantly rejoice in the truth. Now love rejoices with the truth. Love makes its known allegiance with the truth. Love lands doctrinally with the truth. Now, evil and truth are contrasted here in our text. And to many of us, that might seem unusual. Uh, uh, we often think of opposites like evil and righteousness or evil and holiness. We don't tend to think of evil and truth per se. But listen to how the Bible uh, tracks on this area. In Romans chapter 1, verse 18, a passage we looked at last week, it says the wrath of God. And we learned that wrath that Greek word orge means anger last week. It's God's anger that's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth, suppress the truth by their wickedness. Romans chapter two, verse eight, same theme. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. 2 Thessalonians continues this theme, chapter 2, verse 12. And so, all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. In 1 John 1, 6, a text we studied last winter, if we claim to have fellowship with him, 
that is God, we're talking about fellowship with him, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. Truth is the antithesis of evil. This means, as what we've read in Romans 1.18, that love, love does not suppress the truth. If you love somebody, you're not going to suppress the truth with that person. Romans 1.25 says love does not exchange the truth of God for a lie. Uh, and it's interesting in our day and age to be called a bigot if you don't accept carte blanche all of the various forms of gender identity and sexual fluidity that exist out there. That people can actually choose to be whatever orientation they want and they can transition in and out of that and choose what pronouns that you have to and I have to call them and they can live any way they want. And to believe differently is to commit violence against that person. And of course, their contradictory beliefs to ours uh, are not deemed as violence against us. That's not violence against us. But if we disagree with them, that's violence against them. Uh, and it's appropriate for them to uh, not agree with us. No, if we don't accept their views in human sexuality, then we are prejudiced bigots. You're also unloving because love, the world says, is the answer to everything. Love wins. That's what's going to win the day. Love wins. No, I have to tell you, biblical agape love that's talked about here, selfless godly love has an ethical and a moral component to it because it's linked directly to the truth. If love were a website, the link right there on the page would be to the truth. Now let me read Romans chapter 1 verses 24 and 25 for you. Therefore God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever to be praised. These next few verses, and I'm not gonna read them for you, they highlight what happens in a person's life when their particular identity gets all wrapped up in themselves and all wrapped up in their idols and God lets them Go with their unnatural fantasies and their unnatural lusts. You know, last the end of last June, I was in Kansas City, Missouri, which was the location of our denomination's annual meeting. And I was there for days in advance to do the work of the Board of Order Ministry. And then there was a one day where the ministerium met and then the annual meeting took place after that. And the big issue there was one pastor who had been suspended for officiating at a gay wedding. Now, as a denomination and as a church, we want to minister and love and serve and help all people. But in our denomination, you're not allowed as a minister credentialed in the Evangelical Covenant Church to participate in a gay wedding or to officiate at a gay wedding. You can attend, you can support, whatever. You can do those things, but you cannot officiate. And our biblically and communally discerned position is that in the area of human sexuality is celibacy in singleness and faithfulness in heterosexual marriage. Well, this pastor that had been suspended was brought to the ministerium. And at the ministerium, you have to have a 6% 6% vote, a super majority to move this person forward to the annual meeting, which is the highest authority. All the delegates from the churches through our denomination, they have the say. And what happened was over a thousand ministers didn't attend. Uh, you could attend by hybrid version online or you could attend in person and, uh, and didn't come. 
and those that were thinking we need to have more discussions about this and, and we maybe need to have a different approach about this and those that are even open and affirming, they were all there in force. And the vote was 59.6% to move him forward, 40.4% to not move him forward. And so it, got, it stayed there. And this minister stays suspended. But one of the difficulties is, and by the way, I'm not concerned that our denomination will split over this unless churches start to leave and good pastors start to leave. And that's what's happened in many of the denominations. Uh, and, and then those who believe these things end up taking over. And all denominations are encountering this same thing. The Presbyterians have already split over this issue. Lutherans already split over this issue. Methodists already, are, you know, just finishing up splitting over that. And just last June, the Mennonite church, uh, they just divided over this particular issue and split. And we have in our denomination a lot of retired pastors that are not accountable to the uh, local church anymore. And they faithfully serve their whole life supporting our position and now they've changed their views. And here's what they say. You're just one grandchild away from becoming open and affirming. In other words, you're just one grandchild away from having a grandchild who comes out as gay or bisexual or transgender or non-binary or queer or whatever category you want to talk about. You're only one of them away from changing your perspective, changing your view on this. And I say no to that. I love my grandchildren with all my heart. I would give my life right now for any one of my grandchildren. If any one of them ever had a disease or a sickness or something that they needed treatment for and insurance wouldn't cover, I'd sell everything I have. I'd cash in everything we got in the bank. I'd cash in all of our investments. I'd work the rest of my life for my grandchildren. I would do that. But there's one thing that I will not do for any one of my grandchildren is deny my God. I will not do that. I will not deny God's word for my grandchildren. I will not deny God's church for a lie. Ultimately, it's not the loving thing to do, to violate God's truth. And this goes right back to the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when Satan tempted Eve in the garden. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God, did God really say that? In other words, was God really telling the truth when he told you that? Does any of this sound familiar? Satan was framing God as a liar and himself as the bearer of the truth. He was saying God's word did not matter. It's not reliable, so you do not need to follow it. As we begin this month of August, I wrote a newsletter article in our connection about our adversary, a crafty adversary. And here's the last few paragraphs of what I wrote. The evil one convinces people to do what feels good, what makes sense to the individual. If lying advances a person, then go for it. If promiscuous sex feels good, by all means, indulge. The devil is adept at getting people to trust in themselves more than in trusting in God's word. So the highest authority in a person's life is their own thoughts, their own affections, their individual rights, and their wishes. If Satan can get people to such a posture of unbelief, then people will not see God as the ultimate good in the world. And as a result, people will not be able to see sin as the ultimate evil. 
Do you ever wonder why people in our culture call things good that God says are evil? Why people cannot seem to discover the truth when it's right before their eyes? The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4.4 gives credit for this where credit is due. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The witness of Scripture is clear. We face a crafty adversary. So let's apply this message today. That love does not rejoice in someone's misfortune and absolutely delights in the truth. First thing I want you to know is love is not primarily a feeling. It's not something that uh, can ever be separated from the truth. Love and truth go together like a hand and a glove. And when a person moves away from the truth, they are moving ultimately away from love. Let me say that again. When a person moves away from the truth, they are moving ultimately away from love. And our culture doesn't believe this. In fact, they believe the exact opposite, which is so sad. But the facts of the matter are that biblical orthodox teaching tells us that truth and love are inseparable. So do not let your feelings guide you. How many young women out there, by the way, get told by their boyfriends that they love them just to get them to advance their relationship sexually? That's not agape love. That's eros love. That's lust that's speaking. And it's a violation of God's truth, God's word to not fornicate and to keep the marriage bed undefiled. It's not our feelings or even what, our, what we think that should be our ultimate guide in all of this. It is the truth of God's word. It's God's self-revelation to us. Secondly, we cannot support people, including our own loved ones, when they pursue or practice ungodly things and ungodly behaviors. Gordon Fee, writing in a commentary on this verse, says, evil and truth, therefore, are probably thought of here in the larger sense of the gospel and all that is opposed to it. Here again, by the use of agape, Paul is especially reflecting the character of God. Remember, God is love. God is agape, okay? Which is now to be displayed by God's people. And the person full of divine love joins in rejoicing on the side of behavior that reflects the gospel, which reflects the truth, because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Now, Satan sometimes uses family members to draw other family members into sin. For example, Bruce Jenner's mother, Esther, recently commented on his sex change, because he's now Caitlyn Jenner instead of Bruce Jenner, the Olympic champion. She said, I've never been more proud of Bruce for who he is, himself as a father, as an Olympian, as a wonderful public speaker. He instills enthusiasm in people. He's gifted. And right now, I'm more proud of him for what he's allowing himself to do. I am more proud of him now, that when he, when he, now than when he stood at the podium and put the gold medal around his neck. He deserves all the respect. Now, I absolutely love Bruce Jenner. I read his book, Decathlon Challenge, two times when I was in college. Absolutely look up to him, and I even like to listen to him politically because of some of his conservative ideas. But I have to say we cannot support people, including our lone loved ones, when they pursue ungodly behaviors and ungodly things. Thirdly, never rejoice when someone suffers for their sin. If you love people, you'll be praying for their well-being. 
for them to come to faith in Christ, for their sanctification and growth spiritually. You should never be glad if they sin or be glad somehow if they suffer for their sin. Listen very carefully to the warning that Proverbs chapter 24, verse 17 to the beginning of verse 18 shares with us. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When he stumbles, do not let your heart rejoice or the Lord will see and disapprove. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Let's pray. God, thank you again for this wonderful day of worship and again the opportunity to look at a very important verse in your word, your self-revelation to us. God, we live in some challenging times and we want to be the church. We want to be a loving church that loves everybody no matter what circumstances people come from or what they're facing. God, help us to do that and to be that. But to, in order to love like that, we recognize, God, that we can never delight in others' misfortunes. And we have to rejoice and celebrate the truth. May that be true of your people, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.